All right. Very good. Did I see Patty? I saw Patty Lord here, didn't I? Yeah, there she is. Welcome back. Good to have her back. I meant to mention that before. So it's been a while. So good to see her. All right. All right. You can be opening up your Bibles to Galatians chapter five. Of course, last week we had Brother Itzen here and with our charge weekend. I hope you enjoyed that uh, session pretty well. I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, his lessons. He had some wonderful lessons, I thought. And uh, so hopefully you were refreshed from that. You were charged up and ready to go. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll hopefully continue that uh, to keep that uh, zeal, that, that fire going, right, as, as we start this year out here in 2023. In Galatians 5, you know, we've been studying the letter to the churches in Galatia for quite a while now. We'll continue through this uh, quarter, for most of the quarter, before we'll be done. It's been a long study. I hope you've gotten a lot out of it. And of course, a little bit of a review, you know, Paul's writing to the churches in Galatia because there are some issues that have crept in after he had helped establish these churches on his first missionary journey. And he's having to deal with them. So he's writing and having the churches there, particularly having to deal with those Judaizing teachers, right, that have come in and said, well, just because you're Christian doesn't mean you, can't, you, you don't have to keep the law of Moses, right? And just because you're in, got this new religion, right, you, don't, you still got to be circumcised under the law. And Paul's having to deal with that, right? He's saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no, you have freedom now. You have freedom and liberty in Christ Jesus. You are in him. You are part of his church. You are part of the church and the, and the life here on earth that God designed. You have freedom because of your love for him and his love for you. That's the way you're living now. You're living and you're obeying him, following his commands because of the love that has passed between you and your father. All right? That's a thing. That's something that it motivates us. That's something that we're living by now. It's not about the law. Yeah, we have that as our tutor. We have to know God revealed through that law. Right? We have to know right and wrong. It has to be revealed to us, and that's how we know. But it's not about keeping the law. We can't keep it in the flesh. It's not possible. We are human. We make mistakes. We fail the law. And, of course, you fail one part of the law, and you transgress the whole law, right? And we know what the wages of sin are. That's death. But God sent his son to die for us that we might be forgiven of those sins and have a hope of eternal life. So it's a wonderful thing. And Paul's telling these churches in the Galatia, no, 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 no. Don't, don't listen to those guys that tell you you got to be circumcised, that you got to obey the law to the T. Can't be done. Be careful of that. And then he went through some things, though, right? And he said, well, but, but, that doesn't mean you have freedom to do whatever you want, right? There's still sin there, right? There are still the works of the flesh. And we described those a few weeks ago, right? We went over those, talked about what those are and how if you're still living in those, then you are in danger of not inheriting the kingdom of heaven. All right? We talked about what that meant. What that meant, yes, you have freedom. You have assurance when you're walking in the light. But if you're still transgressing, you're still participating in these works of the flesh, then you're in danger of not making it to heaven. You're in danger of not inheriting that kingdom. And he says that in Galatians chapter 5 there, and we talked about that, right? He's warning them that even though you still have this freedom, and it's not about the law. Remember, it's about walking in his light. And as you walk in the light, in the spirit, things are going to happen in your lives. And last uh, two weeks ago, we began to talk about that, right? The fruits of the spirit. What happens when you're walking 
in the spirit. And he kind of contrasts those to what the works of the flesh were as opposed to what the uh, fruits of the spirit are. And we talked a little bit last, uh, t- a couple weeks ago. Let's go back and read what he says there in chapter 5 uh, of Galatians. And let me get in there. <clears throat> and beginning in verse, uh, let's see, verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so what he's saying here is, these are the fruits that will come from walking in the Spirit. No longer walking in the flesh, right? If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We who are Christ have crucified the flesh with the passions and lusts. Those works of the flesh that you talk about. That's part of that liberty in Christ Jesus. You're now living for him. It's no longer you that live. Those passions and so forth are not to be part of your life anymore. Right? Doesn't mean we're not going to sin, of course. We're going to fall short. We're in the flesh. We can't live perfectly. But he's saying now you're walking in the spirit. These are the fruits that are going to come from that. And in, in uh, discussing the fruit of the Spirit, the, the nine things here, you might say nine graces uh, that he mentions here are often divided into, you might say, three groups or three categories. And a couple weeks ago we talked about those, uh, those graces which turn one's thoughts toward God. Right? Love, love for God, love is of God, God is love, right? And so you're going to have love if you're walking in the Spirit. Love for God and, and love for your fellow man. Love for your brethren. And you're going to have joy. Remember, we, we rejoice in the Lord for what he's done. We have a joy that is uh, not understandable by the world. A joy and a peace. A peace that comes from God. A peace that comes from that love that he has provided for us. Unconditional love that he would send his son for us. That we would have that hope, right? We now have love, joy, and peace. And that's kind of what we get through that relationship with the Father, relationship with God, right? That, that love, joy, and peace, that's a fruit that we get from the Spirit. Then this day, we're going to talk a little about three other graces, and those are graces that kind of directs our attention to each other, right? To our brethren here, to those who are outside the congregation, outside the brethren, and that will be long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. And then we'll talk about those a little bit. And then the last three, which we'll talk about next week, are those which refer more directly to oneself, how you're conducting your life, how you're living. That would be uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So today, we're going to look at those three graces that tend to help us. Uh, the fruit comes from the Spirit, and that helps us deal with each other. Uh, previous study focused on that first triad of love, you know, the act of will, goodwill toward God and man, the joy, that gladness, that delight, which is impossible in the world, inexpressible in the world, but full of glory, and it shows the glory of God through that joy that we have for what he's done for us, right? And that peace, that harmony, that contentment that surpasses understanding. The world doesn't get it. We're going to turn our attention now to that second uh, triad of graces, long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. The first one there, long-suffering. The long-suffering that the Spirit produces, uh, the Greek word is macrothomia or patience, 
It literally means to be long-tempered, okay? It literally means to be patient, forbearing thing, forbearing your, your friends and your fellow members, um, a slowness in avenging wrongs. And these are things that will be produced through the fruit of the Spirit. Now let me ask you something. Have you ever been wronged? Someone ever done something to you that wasn't right? Wasn't fair? Did you, did you punch them right away? Did you go out and stick a knife in their tire? That's what we're talking about here. No, that's not the way it should be done. Long-suffering means a patience with each other, with your brethren. Oh, by the way, have you ever been wronged by somebody that was sitting on the pew next to you? Yeah. Yeah. Long-suffering. Yeah, it happens, right? People that deal with other people at some point are going to do something that you don't like. It's going to happen, right? We live in a fallen world. We live in a dark world. And even among the brethren, you're going to have that happen sometimes, right? Hopefully not very often. But there have been cases of churches splitting, lots of bad stuff that's happened over the years when people can't get along, right? When maybe someone was not long-suffering, patient, forbearing. It happens, right? It's something that through the fruit of the Spirit we get, we should be having, and it should be something that carries us, right? Think about it for a minute. We've talked about this a lot. If my goal is eternity in heaven, what difference does it make if somebody wrongs me here? Yeah, I know. That's easy to say, right? That's easy to say and not do, perhaps. But this is just a moment in time. This is just a short little moment in time. What's the big deal? Long-suffering, if you can think, if your mind is focused on heaven, if your mind is focused on eternity, on the final goal then perhaps long-suffering is something that's easier to do, easier to be produced in your walk in the Spirit. Interesting concept, right? Maybe not as easily done in practice. Long-suffering is that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation, which does not hastily retaliate, does not uh, promptly punish, right? It is the opposite of anger and is associated with mercy and it's a character of God did you know that turn over to 2nd Peter and let's see what Peter writes about God his character there 2nd Peter chapter 3 2nd Peter chapter 3 and let's begin let's see with verse 7 But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is a characteristic of God. 
he's delaying the punishment because he is long-suffering. He is patient. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to repent and not be part of that great judgment. It's the character of God. Turn over to uh, uh, verse 15 there in chapter 3. See what it says. Actually, start in 14. He says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our brother, our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. He's, he's long-suffering. That's our salvation. It allows us to come to him. When we sin against him, I mean, he could have just hit the old smite button, right? And be done with it. If he wanted to. But he's patient. He's forbearing. He's long-suffering. He wants you to come to repentance. That's a character of him. Turn over to Romans chapter 2. See what Paul said there about a characteristic of God. Just begin verse 1 of Romans chapter 2. He said, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? He's saying, man, be careful when you're out there accusing others of stuff because you're doing the same stuff. And don't be stupid. Don't ignore the fact that he's delaying punishment because he wants you to come to him. Hmm. Do you ever accuse others of doing something that you're doing? Do they do that in the government? (laughs) Pretty much every day, right? But the world says, you're a hypocrite because you do something that the rest of us... You're, you're, you're jumping on us, you're accusing us, you're blaming us, but you're doing the same stuff. Well, we do sin. But when we repent, we start walking in that spirit, that sin tends to go away, right? Doesn't mean we're not going to have temptation. But God is long-suffering and forbearing and patient for us. Therefore, we have salvation because of that. That those who fear him and keep his commandments might delight in his loving kindness. That's from Psalm 103. Talking about God's nature. He is loving to us. He's forbearing. He's patient. He's long-suffering. So that you might be saved. How does that come out in our lives, right? Matthew 18, we have the parable of the good and the faithful servant, right? And the one who jumped on the servant because he didn't do what he wanted. And then the parable says, well, you didn't provide grace to the servant. Therefore, I'm not going to provide it for you. You see, God's long-suffering. Therefore, we should be long-suffering. Patient. Forbearing each other. How is that manifested? Well, we just talked about it a little bit. Someone provokes you to anger. You don't need to be just going back and pounding them on the head. There might be some patience you need to 
have. It might be a little time you need to give, right? It might be something that you need to go talk to them in loving manner. Say, look, you did this. I feel wronged about it. Can we talk about it? What can we do? You're not punishing. You're not retaliating. You're long-suffering. Yes, sir. saying, isn't it the way the world should see it as they come in, right? That we are long-suffering. We are not punishing them or blaming them. We want them to come to repentance, just like we have. Absolutely. And that's the way the church should be, right? The church should be like heaven on earth. That's what it's for. Love for each other. Patience, forbearing. Displaying that same characteristic of God in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. It's also something that we need to help uh, maintain unity. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's see what you can read there. Ephesians chapter 4, and let's begin in verse 1. He says, Therefore the prisoner of the Lord, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called and one hope of your calling. This long-suffering helps to keep unity, right? As, that, as, as we have others come in, as there might be some kind of provocation, some problem, patience allows us to get things worked out with the help of God. Just like Kurt was talking about, the 70 times 7. We are to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. Right? It's not about us on that. That's God, right? God will provide the judgment eventually. We are to forgive. We are to be long-suffering. It's also necessary for those who teach and preach, which really should be all of us, right? At some point. Turn over to 2 Timothy. Chapter 2. Chapter, cha- 2 Timothy chapter 2. And let's look at verse 24. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And it's like Kurt was talking about. When they come in, that's what we should be doing. We should be teaching them the truth, but with gentleness and goodness and patience, not lording it over them. That don't mean... Every once in a while, the preacher needs to get up there and tell people, well, don't need to get up there and step on a few toes every once in a while. I'm not saying that. We need to hear that. But we do it out of gentleness 
and patience and goodness. Bearing with one another. And that's developed through, well, what? Let's turn over 1 Corinthians and read it. This is the chapter that we all know, chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. I think we sing a song about that, don't we? I know I sing the last verse with the bay part. That's what love is. Patience. Goodness. Gentleness. That's how the world is going to know you're a Christian, remember? You read that in John. Do your love for one another. Your patience, your forbearance, your goodness, your gentleness. And we develop that through love and prayer. Do we manifest that long-suffering? Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you patient with each other? Do you forbear each other? I have to say, I've fallen down on that in my life. I can remember times where I let the anger or wrath kind of take me over. And perhaps I had to apologize or I had to repent of that. Yeah, we all get a little fired up at times. But when walking in the Spirit, we need to be patient with each other. Well, what else are we talking about here? There's that word kindness that the Spirit produces. Kindness in the Greek is Christostos, describing a sympathetic kindliness or sweetness of temper which puts others at ease. It therefore develops a quality that makes other people feel at ease when with you. In fact, they know they could probably go to you and you're not going to treat them like an idiot. You ever done that? You ever gone to somebody and said, can I talk to you a minute? What do you want to talk to me about? Get out of here, you idiot. You ever felt that way? Yeah, I know I have. Kindness. And it goes along with the long-suffering. Right? People are here because they were created by God to live for God, to glorify God. Same as you. Who are you not to be kind to one another? I know people get a little on your nerves at times. I have people bugging me at work all the time, and there's times I want to tell them to go take a hike. But Kindness is part of that walk of the Spirit, right? And again, if your focus is on heaven, if your focus is on eternity, what's the big deal if somebody bugs you a little bit here? It's not going to be forever. Kindness is that one of those fruits that comes from the Spirit. In the Septuagint, which is you know the Greek translation of the Old Testament, kindness is translated as good. And it refers to God. Psalm 106 talks about that. Psalm 145, how the goodness, the kindness of God is that great character. 
and it's expressed in his mercy towards us. In the New Testament, we read of that kindness. Look over at Luke chapter 6. See what Luke said about God's kindness. 35. <clears throat> it says, but love your enemies. What? Love your enemies? Do good. What? Be kind. And lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. A characteristic of a God is to be kind and good to those who don't love him back. Well, if that's the way God is, shouldn't that be the way we should be? Titus chapter 3, turn over there. I know we're jumping around a little bit, but there's a lot of good verses here on the scene. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing, regeneration, and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Through his kindness, he gave us his son. Through his goodness, through his love, through his long suffering, all those things. But as expressed here in Titus 3 as his kindness, he was kind enough to provide a way. We didn't have any hope. He really did that. Ephesians 2 talks about even in the ages to come, this is going to continue. The kindness of God will be manifested towards man, even those who do not love him. Those led by the Spirit will produce this fruit in their lives. How's that going to happen? Well, Colossians 3, let, let's go over there and read that. Colossians 3 talks a little bit about what this means. <clears throat> Verse 12, he says, Colossians 3, 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgive you, so you also must do. It's part of the garment we are to wear as a Christian. The garment of kindness. Goodness, gentleness should be something that we practice every day. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. We were just there. Go back over there. Verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Do we have kindness toward each other? And, and let, me, let me clarify that just a little bit. You hear out in the world, right? Be kind. Be kind to one another. But the world thinks when you tell someone they need to stop the way they're living or they might not make it heaven, they think that's not being kind. 
They call that hate. See, there is a little bit of a difference there. The kindness that we provide is a loving kindness that we show to each other because we have concern for their souls. The soul that God wants to save. And he has sent his only son to die for. When you look at it like that, that kindness is manifested in a concern for each other that surpasses the understanding of the world. The world doesn't get that. That's something we are to be practicing as Christians. Therefore, when you are dealing with things with each other, through that kindness that you portrayed, it makes it a little easier, right? It puts someone at ease when they need to come to you, perhaps, or when you need to go to them. That kindness helps you to be able to deal with things, have a relationship with each other, talk about stuff. We as elders have to deal with some things sometimes that are private. They have to know our kindness toward them will keep things uh, private, will help them to be able to say things that they cannot say to others, perhaps for embarrassment, perhaps something that nobody else needs to know. And so if you're not portraying a kindness, how's anybody gonna come to you? You're not gonna be able to deal with things that need to be dealt with. That is a fruit of the Spirit. Being kind, being able to put people at ease, not having sharp words, or a cold shoulder, or an arrogant condescension, discouraging others from being comfortable with it. That's how we need to act around each other. Do we manifest that? Well, having a spirit of kindness goes right into the next grace, which is that goodness, the goodness that the spirit produces. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, the Greek word used here is agathosuni, an act of goodness, a benevolent goodness. It's, it's more than just kindness or gentleness. It's actually referring more to the act of being good. What does that mean exactly? Turn over Acts chapter 11. Let's just read about it. Acts chapter 11, verse 22. <clears throat> then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Barnabas, described as a good man. We know he's what, what's, the, what's he called? the great encourager, right? He was good. He did things. He encouraged people. He went out and helped people. And he praised them when they did good works. In the name of the Lord. Probably a lot of folks were converted because of things he said, things he did, right? He was practicing a goodness that comes from walking in the Spirit. He was very liberal, you might say, with his good works, and that's how he got his name. We could go on and talk about how he was generous with his possessions as well. In fact, let's do that. Turn over to Acts chapter 4 and just read what he did. 
in the early part of the church. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they all had things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and gave grace upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and brought proceeds of the things that were sold, laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He was a good man. He was generous. Turn over Acts chapter 9. Let's read about somebody else who was good. Chapter 9, verse 36. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. The woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room, and since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to him. Then Peter arose and went with him. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. She did good works. That was a fruit of the Spirit because she was walking in the Spirit. How are we to manifest these things in our lives? Well, turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Do something here. Jesus chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 8. He said, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Whatever makes manifest is light. Those led by the Spirit will have a quality of goodness. Hands down. It's going to be that way. You're going to be working and producing good things, doing good things in the kingdom. It's just going to happen. Ephesians 2, turn back over there real quick. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Oh. God was, has, he's, he does work in us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness, good works, generousness, helping those who are in need. We should do good to all men. Galatians 6 actually tells us that, not just brethren. You see, that's a fruit of the Spirit, to do good in the world. Yes, the world's going to see you through your love for each other, they're all going to see your good works that comes from that walk in the Spirit. The works that you provide for your brethren, the works for those outside the kingdom, and then God is glorified. Yeah, the world doesn't understand that. But when we bring them in, as Kurt was talking about, we show a long-suffering, patience, kindness toward them, and a goodness that surpasses the understanding of the world world will hate you. So, 
again, we note that contrast between the spirit and the flesh, right? Those who walk by the spirit will experience long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. Those who indulge in fleshly lust experience contention, envy, selfish ambition. What do you want to have? You want to have a life that's lived abundantly in the spirit, or do you want to continue to walk in the lust of the flesh? I say choose the spirit. That's really the best way. It's really the only way to glorify God. It's really the design of God who gives us that liberty in Christ Jesus. And when you live like that, you're already living like you're going to live in heaven. Did you know that? Have you ever thought about that? In heaven, we're going to be loving each other, being kind to each other, and we're going to do good things. Why not start now? All right. Time